What up, what up, what up, one and all, and welcome to this Wednesday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. Exciting show ahead as per usual, and unlike last show, I'm feeling a little better. I don't have a massive pounding headache anymore. It's 8.43 right now, so I'm feeling a little bit more energetic than I was last time, and I apologize if you did not like last show. I was I was having fun, but it wasn't the best show. I hope this show is 10 times better than last show. And it was a shorter show. It was the first show I'd done in under an hour in a few weeks, maybe a month or so. It felt it felt so weird looking at my timer on GarageBand and seeing the time 54, 55, or 50, however long it was. It looked so weird. It has been forever since I've done that. And <laughs> uh, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad to have shorter shows because... You're not trying to cram too much in, but also it could be a bad thing that, in my opinion, I think I was running out of stuff to talk about and just kept prolonging topics, and that can hurt sometimes. So I'm hoping that this show is not that, and just without further ado, make sure you go and follow the Logan Blackman Show on all forms of social media. Go and follow the Apple Podcast and Spotify account to search the Logan Blackman Show on all forms of social media, and go follow it. Like the Facebook page. Follow me on Twitter, which is just my personal Twitter account, Logan underscore Blackman. The Instagram account is the Logan Blackman Show One. It's not the Logan Blackman Show. That show is getting that page is getting deactivated in about a week or so, if I remember correctly. Instagram sent me a thing for when it's going to get deactivated. I don't know exactly when, but it will be deactivated soon because I didn't post on there forever, and it just felt really weird to just start randomly posting again. So I just created a whole new Instagram account. For the Logan Blackman Show. So yeah, those are all the socials. And I would like to start off this show talking about something we haven't really talked about that much. Just in the sport in general. And that is basketball. We have done a very bad job at talking NBA. We've done, I mean, not a great job at talking college basketball. Just the random times I bring up that I'm not a massive basketball fan. Other than that, we don't really talk about it. But this was big news today. The All-Star skills games, or the games, like not the All-Star game. We already know the players that are going to be in the All-Star game and the starters and the reserves, all that stuff. But the dunk contest got released, the three-point contest got released, and the All-Star skills challenge got released. And I'd like to start off with the All-Star skills challenge. It's the one that just, it was the last one to get announced, at least according to the NBA All-Star Twitter. And the skills challenge is, Always pretty interesting to watch the one that pretty much kicks off the weekend of skill challenge, three-point competition, dunk contest. It's usually how it goes anyways. So the skill contest, we got Robert Covington, Luka Doncic, Chris Paul, Nikola Vucevic, Damanis Sabonis, and Julius Randle. I like when the big guys do it. Bam Adebayo did it very well either last year or a few years ago. Again, I can't remember. I didn't really watch it last year. But if I had to pick a winner right now, if I had to choose a surprising winner, Demonis Sabonis would be my surprise winner, but I think Luka Doncic is going to win this. If we're going over all careers, I would think Chris Paul would have a very good shot at this, but I just think Luka or Sabonis will win the skills challenge. And the three-point contest is a pretty loaded roster, to say the least. Devin Booker, Jalen Brown, Steph Curry, Zach Levine, Donovan Mitchell, and Jason Tatum. That is a fairly loaded three-point competition right there. Players like Zach Levine and Donovan Mitchell have featured in the dunk contest before, but Zach Levine, earlier this week, or late last week, I guess, said that he is not participating in the dunk contest, which is a shame. It's a crying shame. He was supposed to star in it last year, All-Star Game, going to Chicago, but he didn't make the All-Star Game. So he was like, "Uh, screw that, I'm not going to go in the dunk contest because I didn't make the whole All-Star Game. What's the point of me participating in this if I don't make the All-Star Game? Which, in my opinion... This is coming from a biased fan standpoint of the Chicago Bulls and of Zach Levine. I think he should have made it last year. Now, I can't remember the all-star rosters or anything like that from last year. I'm not going to pretend like I know I remembered what they are. But Zach Levine should have gone last year, and I'm happy he went this year. Very happy that he got in this year. Much deserved. It's about time. Best player on the Bulls. Carried the Bulls for the last two years with nobody on the roster. Now these players are actually staying healthy somewhat. Kobe White in there all the time, which is good. Billy Donovan's such a good head coach compared to Jim Boylan. The Bulls are actually in playoff contention. And the Knicks, goodness gracious, the Knicks, they're actually 
in playoff contention. I forgot to mention that when Julius Randle was brought up for the skills contest. Oh my goodness, if the Knicks and the Bulls make the playoffs this year, I will go crazy. That would be so awesome. (laughs) Oh man, I need the Knicks and Bulls back in the playoffs. Because when I was younger, when Derrick Rose was balling out for the Chicago Bulls, the Knicks were a pretty good team. Even before they got Carmelo Anthony, they had Raymond Felton, Amari Stoudemire on the team as well. He was there when Melo got there, but Amari was the main focal point of that offense before Carmelo got there. And he had Wilson Chandler, Danilo Gallinari was also there balling out. The Knicks had a fun team. And then Melo came over with Chauncey Billups for the aforementioned Knicks players, Raymond Felton, Danilo Gallinari, and Wilson Chandler. Chauncey came over, and then Raymond Felton went back to New York, and... They kind of just faded off, but they were good for a little bit. They were pretty fun to watch for a little bit. Obviously, we had the Lynn Sanity thing taken off, but back then, goodness gracious, that was my favorite time in the NBA. Bulls were awesome. The Knicks were pretty good. The Heat with LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, the Spurs at full go. Now, they're kind of struggling to watch the Spurs nowadays. Maybe they're more exciting now, I guess, because a lot of people killed them on the fact that they were boring with like Tim Duncan, Tony Parker. Mono Ginobili, like not the most flair players. I know Mono Ginobili basically coined the Eurostep, but they had did, they did have that little reputation for being somewhat boring, but they were good. Then you had the Mavericks, the Suns with Steve Nash were awesome. The Lakers, Kobe Bryant, Pau Gasol, Amar Odom, Sasa Vujicic, Vladimir Radonovich, the best players on the LA on the LA Lakers. Like, that's when I was swallowing the NBA. Right now, it's kind of hard. At least, I don't know. I've just never... The Bulls have sucked for a few years now. So it's been kind of hard for me to get fully back re-immersed into the NBA. Like Derrick Rose was so important to me in my middle school years. Steve Nash for my younger years. Those were so important to me. But now, I just, other than Zach Levine and the Bulls, I don't really have a lot of connections with players. I like some other players like Doncic, Nikola Jokic, players like that who are just don't look like they should be basketball players but are some of the best basketball players in the league. Those types of players. I love those guys. But I've just I don't I couldn't tell you where anybody is in the standings. I like Giannis as well. I don't have any beef towards LeBron James. I know a lot of people that's kind of the cool thing to do if you if you like basketball, you hate LeBron James, or if you think Michael Jordan's the GOAT, you hate LeBron James. No, LeBron James, I could care less about. I don't really care. I'm not going to deny his greatness, because I know a lot of people go like, oh, he's not the greatest number one overall pick of all time, which he is, because he's the second best basketball player of all time. In my opinion, you can't tell me my opinion's wrong. Boom. Get lawyered. But yeah, I have no beef towards LeBron. He hurt my feelings as a child beating the Chicago Bulls, guarding Derrick Rose, shutting that series down. Oh, that was the Bulls' year to win the finals. That was it. And they didn't do it. Depressing. But enough about that. Let's move on to the thing that, good Lord, if you remember, I might, I, I need to make, I should have made sure that this is exactly right. I think the year Kobe Bryant won the dunk contest, that was the last year of the dunk contest for like two or three years because the dunk contest was so bad. Up until that point. And then Vince Carter. I think that was the first dunk contest back. Since the Kobe Bryant dunk contest. Because they had such a weird stretch of really weird players winning it. The dunk, We're about to go through that again. We're about to go through a similar time period in basketball. Where the NBA dunk contest has to go away for a little bit. Because the dunk contest is the thing to watch. In the NBA All-Star Weekend. Other than the game. Yes, we enjoy watching the three-point competition, but the dunk contest is the thing you want to watch. No one cares about it anymore because the three players that are in it are Anthony Simmons, Cassius Stanley, and Obi Toppin. Now, if I was a betting man, I'd bet everything on Obi Toppin because that's all he was pretty much known for at Dayton, and that's what won him the Naismith Player of the Year. But it's just dead. The dunk contest needs to get put down for a little bit and then brought back to life. They tried to bring it back, but Aaron Gordon's done with dunk contests, and probably rightfully so. Zach Levine won't do dunk contests anymore. LeBron's never done a dunk contest. I don't think he's planning on doing one anytime soon because, what, he's 37, 36? Usually, when we were growing up, the best players 
did the dunk contest. And even if they weren't the best players, they were some of the more fun players to watch. Now, this could just be the casual fan of me coming out. I have no idea who Cassius Stanley, and I kind of know who Anthony Simmons is. But I'm not going to tune in the dunk contest and go, guys, we got to watch Cassius Stanley. Now, those could be bad... Those could come back to bite me. He might have some of the greatest dunks we've ever seen. But, like, I want to see, like, Zach Levine go back in it. I want to see Aaron Gordon back in it. DeMar DeRozan was awesome in the dunk contest. We had Blake Griffin jumping over a freaking car. Jason Richardson was awesome. I know he's not playing anymore, but he was another example of those players that would be in the dunk contest. Josh Smith, Dwight Howard, Nate Robinson. I know Nate Robinson wasn't the best player. He got knocked out by Jake Paul, but... He was still a fun player to watch. Then Kobe Bryant, Vince Carter. There were some fun players to watch in the dunk contests, and now we're not there anymore. And there's only three people in the dunk contest this year. Three people in the dunk contest. Serge Ibaka was pretty fun to watch, too. I think he's the only one that actually was fully behind the free throw line (laughs) doing a dunk, and he didn't even get a perfect score out of it. He's the only person that I think was actually fully behind the free throw line and dunked it. But since so many people have done it throughout the history of the NBA, it's dead now. And I think we need to have kind of a late 90s, early 2000s thing with the dunk contest because it just needs to be done for a little bit. Just needs to get put away. Because I was upset when I saw the dunk contest lineup. And then I saw it was only three people. So are they? does nobody want to do it anymore? I don't, I don't know. I, it's depressing. It hurts my soul because I loved watching the NBA dunk contest. It was always on super late. It was one of the things I could stay up late and watch, go over to my nana and papa's house, chill in their basement, watch the dunk contest, and ride my back back home. Now I, I don't, I'm probably not going to watch it this year. I don't care what the dunk contest is. Three people. One person I actually fully know. Because he played at Dayton and he just got drafted this year by the Knicks. Ain't no stopping Obi Toppin. But, man, it sucks. Three-point contest, though, that's a loaded lineup right there. That's what you want to see All-Star Weekend. Devin Booker, Jalen Brown, Steph Curry, Zach Levine, Donovan Mitchell, Jason Tatum. That's what we want to see All-Star Weekend. That's the stuff you want to see. Not Anthony Simmons, Obi Toppin, and Cassius Stanley. Now, again, those guys could be amazing dunkers, but yeah, it's uh, I'm not really... I think everybody's going to stop watching after the three-point contest. I don't know if a lot of people are actually going to be tuning in to the NBA dunk contest, which is sad. Again, it's sad. If I had to pick a winner, I guess I didn't say this for the three-point contest. I know the obvious pick is the greatest three-point shooter of all time, Steph Curry, but... He usually, if I remember correctly, he doesn't usually do good at three-point competitions. I could be totally wrong about that. I'm not trying to say I'm standing by that fact that Steph Curry is not very good at three-point competitions, but I don't know if he's won one before. Now, this could be this year, but I'm going to say, let's go with the shocker. Jalen Brown wins the three-point contest this year. I would love to see Zach Levine do it. I think he was in it last year, if I remember right, but didn't win it then. Like, last year, was it Pat Connington was in the dunk contest? That was awesome. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's the sign that the dunk contest is dying when we're allowing Pat Connington to go to the NBA dunk contest. That's the sign of a, yeah, this thing's probably at its last its last breath. I think we should just be done with it for a tiny bit. Goodness gracious. I'll miss it, though, for a little bit. And right as I scroll up on Twitter, they have that dragon meme of the three dragons, and one's got the, like, eyes looking in opposite directions, this tongue sticking out. All-star game. Three-point contest. Dunk contest. The dunk contest is a mess. All-star game's got a good roster. Three-point contest's got a really good roster. But the dunk contest blows. It sucks. Major dong this year. And has for a while now. And I think it's time to die. Sadly... I think it's time to die for the NBA dunk contest. Oh my goodness. And speaking of the Bulls and their resurgence back to semi-playoff realm, I mean, they're not in the playoffs, but they could be in the playoffs this year. This is a crazy thing that I saw on Twitter. I was just scrolling through my like tweets and found this. And I thought this would be very interesting to talk about. The Jimmy Butler effect. His last season on the Bulls, the 2016-17 Bulls. 
eight seed for the Chicago Bulls. And as the last playoff appearance in the last five years, the Timberwolves were an eight seed, only playoff appearance in the last 16 years. The 76ers were a three seed and reached game seven in the Eastern Conference semifinals and lost to Toronto. And then the Heat made it to their first NBA final since 2014, the Jimmy Butler effect. So underrated. I love Jimmy Butler. Loved him on the Bulls, but Tibbs played him a lot of minutes. He played 48 minutes, I think three games in a row or something like that in the playoffs one year. Tibbs loved himself and Jimmy Butler, and Jimmy Butler wasn't bound to complain. I love Jimmy Butler. One of my favorite players of all time. And, man, I'm glad that the Bulls got Zach Levine out of the deal because Lowry's been hit and miss. Chris Dunn was not very good, but Levine's been balling out. And I'm that's the cool thing. I my one of my favorite NBA games of NBA games I've ever watched was when I was back at William Penn and the Chicago Bulls played the Minnesota Timberwolves. It was Jimmy Butler's return to Chicago, and him and Zach Levine tore up the United Center, and the Bulls ended up winning the game. It was awesome. And then that's where you started to realize maybe the Timberwolves traded the wrong player. <laughs> this guy was your third option? Man, should have traded the Bulls Andrew Wiggins. No, no, I'm glad they traded Zach Levine. I was pretty excited, even though he was coming off an ACL tear, when that draft was going on. I was at my friend Alex's house. We had about six or seven of us chilling in his basement, watched the NBA draft, and the trade went in. Oh, man, I was pretty excited. I loved Zach Levine coming out of UCLA. Came off the bench a lot, was very athletic, very raw, but came in, drafted, showed some ability with the Timberwolves, but not a lot because he was the third option on the Minnesota Timberwolves. For what he could show, I guess I should say. And then Torres ACL, you loved him in the dunk contest, watched him against Aaron Gordon, because that was when he was on the Timberwolves. And it got I got hyped about Zach Levine. And then we went to a Bulls game in Chicago against the Orlando Magic, because one of my friends Noah is a Magic fan. Levine was still hurt because that was when he was in a recovery process. That was the first year with Dunn, with Markinen, and Zach Levine on the team. But Levine didn't play, sadly. It was my first ever Chicago Bulls game, and we didn't get to see Levine play. But I rocked my Levine jersey. Had that ever since he got to Chicago. And, yeah, exciting. I'm excited now. The Bulls are very excited. I was talking to a guy at work the other, when was this, last week, talking about the Chicago Bulls, about it's actually exciting to be a Chicago Bulls fan right now because they're actually semi-competitive. They actually play with a little bit of oomph. They've actually got a qualified head coach in Billy Donovan. Seeing Billy Donovan on the sideline exudes so much more confidence than seeing Jim Boylan sitting on the sideline. That didn't really give me a lot of confidence in the Chicago Bulls. And then while we're on the topic of the Chicago Bulls, I'll end it on this Chicago Bulls topic. One of my favorite Chicago Bulls players of all time, Joakim Noah, retired yesterday. 13-year career, he's planning on retiring as a Chicago Bull, which will be awesome. I'm fully down for that. One of the hardest-working players on those Chicago Bulls teams. No, not one of the, the hardest-working player on those Chicago Bulls teams. He was the Bulls when Derrick Rose was hurt. He came freaking fourth in the MVP voting. He was the point guard center. He played everything. With his little cyclone release that he called it. I love Joakim Noah. He's one of my favorite Bulls players. One of my favorite basketball players of all time. Even at Florida, those Florida teams were awesome to watch. With Corey Brewer, Lee Humphrey, Al Horford. Those were That was a fun Florida team to watch. Back-to-back natties and had Billy Donovan as their head coach. So that's another reason why I am also was very excited when Billy Donovan got hired as the Chicago Bulls coach. And I'm happy that Joking Noah will eventually retire a Chicago Bull. Hopefully that's done sooner rather than later because I don't want to see... I love seeing legends retire with the teams they spent most of their career. Whether it's a one-day contract or not, I just love seeing players retire with their teams. I loved when the Danian Tomlinson signed a one-day contract with the Chargers because LT is my favorite football player of all time. That was very cool to see. And they were begging him to come back because Ryan Matthews was having fumbling issues. LT was like, nope, done. One of the greatest running backs of all time. The greatest running back of my lifetime, and I will die on that hill. I don't care what anybody says. 31 total touchdowns in an MVP season will never be done. 28 rushing touchdowns, 31 total touchdowns will never be done. At least in, at least in my lifetime. Never be done. LT is the greatest running back of my lifetime. 
I'll die. I don't care about you. You can raise your Adrian Petersons, your Marshall Falks, your what Sean Alexanders. I don't care. I'm not. I'm. I'm not listening to that. I'm done. LT is the greatest running back of anybody that was born late '90s, early 2000s. Easily, because he had some great running backs in the 20th century with Barry Sanders, Walter Payton, uh, geez, Earl Campbell, <laughs> Emmett Smith. I'm forgetting some really good running backs in there as well. I'm sorry, Jim Brown, obviously, but that was way in the early portions of the NFL. But then in this generation, you had LaDainian Tomlinson, Adrian Peterson, Sean Alexander, Amon Green. <laughs> Jamal Charles, for a little bit, was awesome. But, hey, I'll die on that hill. Don't really care. Do not care. And I was watching an NFL draft thing today. It was top, or no, it was last night. It was top 10 draft trades of all time. And if you're ever bored, just go and watch NFL films on YouTube, their top 10 things. It was what I was raised on, essentially. I'd go over to my Nana and Papa's house because we didn't have cable, direct TV, or anything like that. So I had to go over to their house to watch NFL Network and just binge watch top 10s. And I say binge watch, it was just if they were on back to back to back to back. Because there were sometimes they were just, boom, NFL top 10s. And people actually thought LaDainian Tomlinson might be a bust, which it goes into the thing I talked about on Monday of do not call people busts before they played a snap in the NFL. For those who called LaDainian Tomlinson a bust or had bust written all over him, I wonder what they're doing now. There's the same people that said, in the next year's drafts, we'll be looking for the next EJ Manuel, as Bleacher Report reporter once said. Like, the... Why do you say these things? I hate it's what my I talked about this. My least favorite thing in all of sports, next to the system quarterback thing, is calling someone a bust before they played in the NFL or saying they can't play. Well, how do you know? They haven't played at that level before. We don't know if they can play or not. Now, sometimes it's a little more obvious than others, like Deshaun Kaiser. Brian Kelly, when he got drafted, said, dude shouldn't have left college. He was not ready to play. He was one season off of just being the team's holder, and then now he's getting drafted in the second round and playing 16 games. He was the least ready to play. He started all 16 games of the second ever 0-16 team in NFL history, the Cleveland Browns. Second ever. He was not supposed to play. There's situations like that. Spurgeon win. Getting drafted from, what, Southeast Texas State in 1999, the Brady draft. Or 2000, I'm sorry. Drafted by the Cleveland Browns before Tom Brady. Completed like less than 50% of his passes his last year in college or something like that. Certain situations can give you those hints, but never fully come out and say that. Because then you look like a freaking idiot. Why would you call someone a bust before they don't play? Before they play? People riding off the greatest running back of our lifetimes as a bust before he played in the NFL. As he put forward one of the greatest seasons a running back has ever had in NFL history with 1,800 rushing yards, 31 total touchdowns, 29 of the, 28 of those rushing. Man, he has bust written all over him. That is crazy. That is absolutely crazy to think about looking at LaDainian Tomlin's career looking back. I'm all about making predictions about players, but don't say, I think this guy is going to fail at his job. That's that's where we start going, okay, I'm cool with you saying I think this guy will become a Super Bowl champion. Sure, do that. Never, never. Because then if you say this guy, you thought this guy was going to be good and they turn out to be bad, like the people who, whoever thought Sean Kaiser would be good, like Todd McShay, kind of look at it like you thought, what, what, what made you think he was going to be good? Even listening to Brian Kelly talk about him. He never called him a bust, though. Don't call players busts before they play. Josh Allen was that. Justin Herbert was that. LaDainian Tomlinson was that. Bunch of players that are considered busts before they play have great careers. Justin Herbert just won Rookie of the Year. Josh Allen finished second in the MVP voting. While can't-miss prospect Sam Darnold and Tua Tagovailoa are either thinking about getting traded or are basically guaranteed to be traded. So that's the situation to get into of this guy's a bust and this dude's a can't-miss prospect or the second-best quarterback in this draft for Tua's case. Sam Darnold's can't-miss, draft him, ready to play. Now, there's certain situations that have gone on with Sam that make this kind of unfair for him to judge because the Jets haven't done a great job at 
giving him things, like an off-the-line or at least one wide receiver or a semblance of a running game, which they did try with the running game. I'll give them credit on the rushing attack because they did sign Le'Veon Bell in the offseason, but that just didn't work out. They did at least try with the running back position. They didn't try with anywhere else. They got one offensive lineman and drafted Denzel Mims, signed Brashad Perriman, and that was pretty much it for the weapons-wise of it. And then you cut Le'Veon Bell. So that, that, that uh, it's hard to judge Sam Darnold right now. But as I've said, I just think for the betterment of Sam, I think getting on to a new place, having a Jim Plunkett-esque career revival somewhere else would be very beneficial for him. Because Jim Plunkett, when he went to the Los Angeles Raiders, won two Super Bowls. Now, I don't think Sam Darnold, at the same point of where Jim Plunkett was, Jim Plunkett went to the Raiders as a backup. I don't think Sam Darnold's going anywhere and becoming a backup. I think he's going in as a starter from what I can gather from this situation. Jim Plunkett was the backup quarterback of both Raiders teams that won Super Bowls, but got put in and then led them to the Super Bowl. I don't think Sam Darnold's be going to a situation where you're the backup behind this player. Like, you're not going to trade him to Denver and he'll be the backup to Drew Locke. That's not going to be the... That's not going to happen. I mean, it could, but Sam Darnold's... From, from everything you can tell, Sam Darnold is a better quarterback than Drew Locke. And I'm not ready to write Drew Locke off yet either. I would just like to point that out. I just think Sam Darnold's got more tools than Drew Locke does. And I saw this on Instagram. What was this, today or yesterday? I don't know. But it was Josh Allen and Drew Locke's first 15 starts. And they're very similar in a lot of aspects. But then they, they list D size at the bottom of it and say Drew Locke's D size 10, Josh Allen 3. I think that's a lie. If you've ever watched Josh Allen play, Josh Allen D-size is more than three. <laughs> I thought about bringing this up today, and I actually did. I can't believe I actually brought up the D-size chart on this. But the thing with comparing Drew Locke and Josh Allen, if you just look at the teams they had, it's not even really comparable. Where Drew Locke, I know he's had a lot of injuries to a lot of his weapons, mainly Cortland Sutton, but... Just listening the listing the weapons of Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, or not Henry Ruggs, KJ Hamler, Noah Fant, Philip Lindsay, Melvin Gordon, a resurgent Garrett Bowles, a decent offensive line. That's weapons all over the place. They're trying to build him a fortress so he can succeed, and he just hasn't. Josh Allen had Kelvin Benjamin, Zay Jones, Robert Foster, I'm pretty sure was the leading receiver on the Buffalo Bills, Josh Allen's rookie year. I'm not 100% confident in that because I think Zay Jones was right there, but one of them was number one, one of them was number two. You had Cordy Glenn, John Miller, Jordan Mills, Ryan Groy, Russell Bodine, and LaShawn McCoy, who was pretty rendered helpless because he was dealing with the same offensive line that Josh Allen was dealing with. Charles Clay is tight end. Like, they're not even comparable situations. And then Drew Locke came in, and when you watch play him play, there was times where Josh Allen would make a play and go, yeah, there's something in there. There's a lot of stuff in there. Josh Allen, even when he was struggling as a rookie with that supporting, I'm using air quotes, supporting cast, he still was never listed as the worst or second worst quarterback in the NFL. That was Drew Locke this year. The worst, our second worst quarterback in the NFL this season was Drew Locke. Drew Locke's nowhere as mobile as Josh. He's got a decent arm, but not any, not as strong as Josh Allen's arm. He's got a thousand times better supporting cast than Josh Allen ever did until this year, his third year in the NFL. He had a good one last year, and then this year it was just awesome. Got a good right tackle in Daryl Williams, who I think is going to probably leave in free agency. You got. Stephon freaking digs, and Josh took off. Drew Locke has all the pieces. They just need to, A, stay healthy, and he just needs to be somewhat consistent because that's his big issue. Josh would make plays, throw either throwing the ball or running the ball, that would make you go, wow, we they've got something. The Bills have got something in Josh Allen. Drew Locke was good for five games of his NFL career, and that was the end of last year, and then this year was... Are the Broncos ready to move on from Drew Locke? We don't know. 
because they're linked with Deshaun Watson, and everything I have read, they're looking to upgrade on Drew Locke. At least if they get, apparently, that is the Broncos, if they get, they're only going to upgrade on Drew Locke if they can get Deshaun Watson, I guess, is what apparent, what is what people are saying. Now, they could look at someone in the draft and go, yeah, we can take this guy and he feel he's better than Drew Locke at this point or can do more than Drew Locke. But they're looking. They're fighting hard. They're fighting hard for Matthew Stafford as well. Apparently, they weren't that in for Carson Wentz, but they're in for Deshaun Watson. And if that trade actually happens or not, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see on what happens with the Deshaun Watson and Houston Texans situation as J.J. Watt just signed with the Arizona Cardinals, which kind of confused me a little bit because I was hearing that he wanted to sign for a contender. The Cardinals, they have pieces, okay? I'm not saying the Cardinals are pretenders or anything, or they're a very bad team, but compared to the other teams he was linked with, the Packers, Bills, Titans, Browns, Steelers, what, what made you think the Cardinals were the best team to compete Right now, especially with the division they're in, with the St. Louis, the Los Angeles Rams, the 49ers, and the Seattle Seahawks. Like, this is probably the hardest division in football at this point in time. What made you think the Cardinals were the best team to win now? They were 8 8 and missed the playoffs last year. The Packers went 13 3, number one seed in the NFC East, and he was born in Wisconsin. The Bills were 13 3, a two seed, went to the AFC East or AFC Championship game. Titans were 11-5, four seed, had Mike Vrabel work together in Houston. The Browns were 11-5, a six seed last year in the playoffs, won a playoff game. The Steelers were 12-4, three seed, and two brothers on the team. I think the Steelers were probably the least likely one there, but the Cardinals, it, apparently what he was looking for was a team that can compete now and get paid. From what it sounds like, the Cardinals were the only team to give him this type of money. I could be wrong about that, but... I think the money was the bigger reason behind all of this. Now, do I think the Cardinals can compete this year with J.J. Watt? Sure. But as long as they have Cliff Kingsbury as their head coach, I'm going to be a little skeptical on how far this team can actually go. I think he's a similar mold to that of Bill O'Brien, where he's pretty much getting carried by his talent around him with Kyler Murray, with DeAndre Hopkins, now J.J. Watt, Chandler Jones, players like this are keeping his head above water because I don't think he deserved that NFL job to begin with anyways. He got fired from Texas Tech, was going to take the USC offensive coordinator job, and then just wound up in the NFL with the Arizona Cardinals and then got Kyler Murray, and then now he's safe. I don't know how that happened. Confuses me. I love Kyler Murray. I think DeAndre Hopkins is one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. But do I think they're competing especially in the toughest division in football, arguably, I don't know. I could see them going 9-7 and seven this year. I think they're a good team. I don't think they've got enough to compete with the likes of the Rams with the Seahawks and the 49ers. A healthy 49ers team, they went 8-8 eight and eight with an injury-prone 49ers team. What's going to happen when the 49ers are fully healthy? When they get all their best players back? I don't know. They, this just is looking like I wanted a lot of money, and the Cardinals gave it to me. What was it, two years, $31 million, $23 million guaranteed or something like that? I didn't even see them linked at all from all the reports I was reading. It looked like the final teams were the Bills, Packers, and the Browns. From everything I was hearing, now I didn't believe the, the Peloton bike thing because when it was K.J. Watt, I don't know why that got so much attention or how, much, how, how that got as much attention as it did. I'll never really understand that. But, man, confusing, to say the least. I don't think they're competing this year. They could be. Could be totally wrong about that. But the Cardinals, comparatively to the teams in their division, the teams in the NFC, I don't know. I don't know. Time will tell. We'll see once we get closer to the season, once we get closer to August, and then we'll start figuring out what this team's actually going to be. Because the draft's going to be the big thing on how these teams build and fill holes that are left by free agents leaving, players retiring or whatever like that, players getting traded away. You never know. So we're going to have to wait till the draft comes to see what the Cardinals do with their 16th pick. So they got a couple needs they could fill, and that interior off the line could be one, corner could be one. Not an edge rusher anymore. I mean, you could still probably go after an edge rusher. 
Good. He got Chandler Jones, J.J. Watt, and then Isaiah Simmons. You drafted him as an outside linebacker. So I remember when they drafted him, I pointed that out because everyone didn't know what position Isaiah Simmons played. And then they listed him as an outside linebacker, which is very important. What position a team announces you as or drafts you as because the commissioner is going to read off what the card says. So if you listed him as whatever, that's what he was going to play. You list him as an outside linebacker, so that's good. So maybe J.J. Watt is playing in that defensive tackle D-end in the role because the Cardinals, at least last time I checked, played a 3-4 defense. So I think he's probably just going to line up as that D-end in that basically D-tackle area with Chandler Jones right outside of him, which could be very devastating if you pair those two up on the exact same side. So if you want to go out and get an edge rusher, like an outside linebacker, go ahead and do that in the draft. But it'd be interesting. I saw a link today with Shaq Barrett going to the Arizona Cardinals. So you have outside linebacking duo of Shaq Barrett and Chandler Jones with J.J. Watt coming in as a defensive end in that 3-4 defense. Man, it'd be pretty scary. Be pretty scary. But it's interesting to see what the Cardinals would do. And I saw this. It was Russell Wilson having to deal with Aaron Donald, Nick Bosa, and now J.J. Watt with the Seahawks offensive line. So we'll see if Russell Wilson stays in Seattle. We don't know. I bet this year he does. Next year will be very interesting to see if Russell Wilson stays in Seattle. I don't know where he'll go. He's linked with the Bears a lot as are most quarterbacks in the NFL. And then Ryan Pace... Famous Bears GM, if you don't know who Ryan Pace is, one of the greatest GMs of all time. He said that there is a we're not ruling out anything at the quarterback position, basically saying Trubisky could come back, which is what I think will honestly happen with the Chicago Bears this offseason. They'll get their fans hyped up for no reason, as they usually do, and then just re-sign Mitchell Trubisky. And it's like I said in the when was this last Friday? That Matt Nagy and Mitchell Trubisky are really best friends, but Matt Nagy's like, uh, Mitchell, I'm going to act cool when we're by ourselves, but then, you know, we're in front of the other cool people, I'm going to pretend like I don't know you. I think that's the situation we're going in here. Because I think everybody's had situations like that in high school or something like that, where, oh, I'm, I'll be cool around you now, but wait a minute. If my other, if my other friends are here, then I'm not going to be cool around you. I think that's the situation we got going on with Matt Nagy and Mitchell Trubisky. Fair or unfair to Mitchell. I like Mitchell. I don't think I'd want him as my franchise quarterback. For the Bears, I think he's perfect for the Bears. He's just... He's not... Okay, I would like to say this. He's not a bad quarterback. I don't think Mitchell Trubisky is an atrocity playing the quarterback position. I don't think he's like Blake Bortles-esque of where if he were to leave Chicago, he's instantly a backup. I think Trubisky would probably be a backup wherever he went, at least to start, but I think he can compete for a starting job. He's not completely hopeless. His numbers aren't terrible. They're not good, but they're not terrible. He's just a below-average quarterback, which isn't a you know a terrible thing. You st- still have a job. You can compete for starting jobs. You don't have to be guaranteed a starting job like you were when you came into the Chicago Bears, but you can compete. So there's that for you, Mitchell. But do the Bears this year, do they either A, go after another quarterback, Sam Darnold, Marcus Mariota, someone like that? Do they B, draft a quarterback, or C, <laughs> re-sign Mitchell Trubisky? Which you never really see that, declining a fifth-year option and then re-signing them again. You don't really see that too often. But you know what? <laughs> it's the Chicago Bears, so you can never rule anything out. It's the Matt Nagy, Ryan Pace, Chicago Bears. You can never rule anything out with this team. Hell, they made the playoffs this year. You can never rule anything out with this team. I know at the start of the year we were hyping them up for the playoffs, and then they had the over the Chicago Bears style of midway through the season where the offense just looked dead. <laughs> and, uh, dead's the nice way to put it, I guess. They were just non-existent. Might as well have just not been there. Might as well have just had the defense versus the other team's offense. Just have that battle. Because the offense for the Bears wasn't scoring. And (laughs) then they made the playoffs somehow. And ironically, if the Bears kept in Mitchell Trubisky, they would have been better than 8-8. Which is crazy to think about for how much he was blasted 
by media all across the world or across the United States. I know we're it's like the Super Bowl being world champions. That's the basically the same thing I'm saying right there. I don't care. I don't. Mitchell's got an interesting career ahead of him, and I'm intrigued to see if he doesn't go back to Chicago. Then where the hell does he go? The Browns are an obvious fit from Cleveland. Carolina Panthers might fit because he went to college at North Carolina. I don't know where he goes. The Raiders, John Gruden, always seems to have these weird afflictions with these quarterbacks. <laughs> Nathan Peterman just signed an extension with the Las Vegas Raiders. I love it. Keep Nathan Peterman in the NFL as long as possible. This will be the funniest career in NFL history. I don't know how he's lasted this long, but hey, John Gruden seems to love him. And don't you find it interesting that the Las Vegas Raiders have been linked with moves away from their starting quarterback and their backup, but not true, not Nathan Peterman? I think there's something brewing there that we should just pay more attention to. That Nathan Peterman might be, might be taking that starting job this year. John Cruden and Mike Mayock trade Derek Carr away and Mariota away in the same offseason and then sign Ryan Fitzpatrick and then have him and Nathan Peterman battle it out for the starting job. That would be so awesome if that happened. I know it'll never happen in a million years. Nathan Peterman is probably never going to start an NFL game again. Bless him, but probably never will. Just shame. Crying shame. <laughs> uh, man, I've joked about this before. The Bills handled that quarterback situation terribly. Sean McDermott's first year as a head coach, kind of panicked. Shouldn't have played him against the Chargers, who were red hot at the time. And then it just got thrown to the wolves, and now he's a forever living meme. And now he's the MV Peterman, as... I have coined numerous times. It's been my fantasy football team name. He's the MB Peterman. Greatest nickname of all time. That quarterback room in Buffalo, 2017-18, when you had T-Mobile, Tyrod Taylor, and MV Peterman on the roster, greatest quarterback room of all time. Greatest quarterback room of all time. As far as nicknames are concerned, but we've been talking about quarterbacks, and uh, we joke about this quite a bit, but the, the show's kind of just become a meme when it comes to quarterbacks because we're very one-dimensional, it seems like, because all we talk about is quarterbacks. But you know what? I'll keep doing that because quarterback's the most important position in sports. It's the hardest position in sports. And we're going to talk about it because it's the most controversial or most watched position in sports. Never in any position in any sports ever has the backup most of the time been the favorite player on the team instead of the starter because everybody hates the starting quarterback and the backup will always do better than the starter in most weird fan circles. Everybody wants the backup. I grew up an Iowa Hawkeye fan. I am well aware and well versed in the art of we want the backup quarterback in. Well versed in this. My first Hawkeye game, my favorite Iowa player of all time is Drew Tate. I grew up with people screaming to put Jake Christensen in. The worst Iowa quarterback of all time, <laughs> Jake Christensen. And then when Ricky Stanzi was a starting quarterback, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time in Iowa history, along with Drew Tate, screaming for, put James Vandenberg in. And then James Vandenberg goes in, and then everybody screams, Oh, put whoever the hell the backup is because no one knew who the backup was when James Vandenberg was a starting quarterback. And then the only quarterback, to my knowledge, that had never received any hate from anybody was C.J. Beathard. I don't think he received any hate from anybody in regards to put the backup in because Jake Rudock sure as hell got hate for <laughs> get C.J. Beathard in. C.J. Beathard, I don't think, ever got a word of hate in his time at Iowa, and rightfully so. None of the quarterbacks before should have gotten Drew Tate and Ricky Stanzi. In regards to the greatest Iowa quarterbacks of all time, Stanzi and Tate are above C.J. Beathard. But Beathard's more likable. I mean, not, not if we're talking about now, I think more people gravitate towards Ricky Stanzi. But at the time, it was like, why are we booing Ricky Stanzi? Why? James Vandenberg was heralded for his performance against Ohio State after throwing like five interceptions. But they went to overtime, and he played decent for playing in the horseshoe for his first ever start. But man, never should those guys. Drew Tate, Stanzi, never should have gotten any hate from anywhere, especially from who their backups were in Jake Christensen and James Vandenberg. Vandenberg was good his first year, and then we all know what happened his senior year. 
bad year. <laughs> seven touchdowns, eight picks, or eight touchdowns, seven picks, something like that. No one knew who the backup was. I don't even think Iowa knew who the backup was. No one even took other snaps than James Vandenberg that season. Craziness. And then you had the battle between Jake Rudock, CJ Beathard, and Cody Sokol. And then, obviously, Rudock won it. And then Beathard took it afterwards. Cody Sokol had a good career with Louisiana Tech. So that was pretty fun to watch. Became a Louisiana Tech fan for a tiny bit. But <laughs> the backup quarterback is everybody's favorite position. The starting quarterback is a lot of people's favorite position, but also their least favorite position. At the same time, the backup's always better. It's always the case. No matter who it is, the backup is always better. You see people probably out in Vegas screaming for Derek Carr's head to put in Nathan Peterman once Marcus Mariota gets traded eventually. Because that looks like it's dead on to happen, Mariota get traded. He's owed a lot of money to be a backup quarterback. I think he's a lot of, I think a lot of people are viewing this as a Ryan Tannehill-esque thing of be a backup, go get traded somewhere else, and then have a career resurgence where Ryan Tannehill is a top 15 quarterback in the NFL. Marcus Mariota could do similar things to that. Jameis Winston could do similar things to that. I think Jameis Winston in New Orleans would be awesome. Under Sean Payton's stewardship, that'd be sweet. Marcus Mariota playing somewhere else, whether it be New England, Washington, or Chicago, that'd be really cool to see him play. Really cool. Mariota's one of my favorite college quarterbacks of all time. That dude dominated at Oregon. But we forget about that because he's been just average in the NFL. It's average to below average. He was dominant in college. That was the only time you saw kids in Iowa repping Oregon gear. I had numerous Oregon Duck shirts. I wanted the 808 face mask because that was a Marcus Mariota custom face mask. It's the Hawaii area code. He got that made at Oregon. How many college players get their own face masks made for them? Now you see Tua wearing it. Baker Mayfield wears it, even though it's Hawaii's area code. It's just a cool face mask. I wanted it when I was at William Penn. I customized one and had it ordered. I was ready to order one. And then I just said, nah, not really playing a lot. Don't really want to buy my own face mask. (laughs) But man, and nothing excites people more than a new quarterback coming in. It's essentially a blinder to every terrible thing that's going on in the organization. Like the Jaguars might be in a horrendous organization right now, but they're getting Trevor Lawrence. So it kind of blinds everybody from everything else that's going on with the Jaguars organization. It's a very good distraction. It's like, oh, new quarterback. No other position really does that. New quarterback is something like, we're good now. A good quarterback can accelerate a team's timeline from being just average to good or bad to good. The Jaguars getting Trevor Lawrence gives these fans excitement. But like I said last show, he's not guaranteed to be a beast in the NFL. I think he'll be a good quarterback in the NFL, but I'm not going to sit here and say he's guaranteed to do that. We don't know what he's going to be in the NFL. He could be an atrocity at quarterback. Jeff George was a number one pick. Didn't do it. Like, he did stuff, but he always bounced around the league. It was never the quarterback anybody thought he was. Going from the Colts, Falcons, Vikings, Raiders, probably a couple other teams in there that I just can't remember. I think he was on the Bears maybe for a little bit. Can't remember, though. It was Jeff George. Jamarcus Russell was a number one overall pick. Jim Plunkett was a number one overall pick. We just talked about him. He had a little career resurgence in, with the Raiders, but not not as good as what everybody thought he was when he got drafted. There's a lot of history of number one overall quarterbacks not panning out, even though everybody thought they'd pan out. Tim Couch, another one, didn't pan out. But he was on an expansion team, same with Der- David Carr. David Carr, I saw this on Instagram the other day. I didn't screenshot it. I wish I did. He has, in six years in the NFL, has almost has 300 sacks or something like that, or 280 sacks or something like that. In six years, Peyton Manning has like 318 years or something like that. It's a ridiculous stat. Derek David Carr got sacked like 76 times his rookie year. That is terrible. <laughs> that is a lot of pain to be put through as a rookie quarterback. And I hope to God that none of these rookie quarterbacks go through a similar situation. Because that's what saw Andrew Luck die out because he didn't have an off the line for him. And he carried the Colts for years. Brought them to very good points and then getting injured and then they're just back to average. 
And now he's retired, sadly. Get a quarterback and off the line. That's like number one priority when you have a quarterback. Need to do that. Chris Ballard came in too late. He tried to salvage Andrew Luck, but got there too late. Gregson already did his already did the damage and ruined Andrew Luck. And man, the this draft's gonna be fun. There is five very good quarterbacks in this draft, and I'm pretty sure all of you at this point know who they are. Not even just from me, but from everybody out on social media talking about these guys. You got Trevor Lawrence, as we've talked about, Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, and Mac Jones, all first-round quarterbacks. They're all guaranteed to go in the first round. I think Mac Jones is going to be the surprise pick in the draft as getting drafted higher than what people are suspect or expecting and maybe even getting drafted above somebody that nobody really expected to. Because in the draft, you have players that weren't expected to fall, fall. You have really good players. Aaron Rodgers dropped all the way down to 24. Ben Roethlisberger was expected to go fourth to the, the Giants, dropped all the way to 11th because Eli didn't want to play for the Chargers. And the Chargers wanted Phillip Rivers. So it's kind of crazy how that worked out. If Eli just stayed with the Chargers, Eli would have been a Charger. Ben would have been a Giant. Phillip Rivers would have been a Steeler. But since Eli didn't want to be a Charger, the Chargers wanted Phillip Rivers, Ben Roethlisberger went to the Steelers. It's insane to think about what all would have happened or how everything would have been different if Eli just stayed with the Chargers. Then you have Lamar Jackson dropping to 32. Deshaun Watson dropping all the way to 12. Like, quarterbacks fall for different reasons, and it's kind of crazy to think about. There might be a quarterback that drops a little bit. Josh Rosen dropped to 10, which was kind of surprising at the time, but not really, but kind of surprising. There might be a faller. But I don't think Mac. I think Mac Jones will be that one guy that's like, oh wow. And people are bashing Mac Jones. I don't know why we're bashing Mac Jones as much as we are. Dude's a good quarterback. It's not. He's not a bad quarterback under any any circumstance. He just led the nation in passing yards. He just came third in the Heisman. He won the Davey O'Brien Award. And you can go. Yeah, he had the Heisman Trophy winner, but he didn't have anywhere near the weapons Tua had. He only had one of the weapons Tua had for most of the year. Two had th- four first-round wide receivers on his roster. Mac Jones had one and a half because Jalen Waddell was out for most of the season. And he still pulled out. Mac Jones needs to get a little bit more respect. And I hope I don't see a bunch of shocked emojis or people getting shocked about Mac Jones getting drafted as early as he does. Because I'm, I'm prepared for it to happen. Like when Daniel Jones got drafted at six. I was halfway prepared, probably should have been a little bit more prepared than what I was, because I got the notification that they should expect this to happen, just didn't think about it, and then I was kind of surprised when it happened. Baker Mayfield getting drafted number one overall, kind of surprising, but Daniel Jeremiah said it was happening, so I wasn't that surprised after all, and in my last mock draft of 2018, I had Baker Mayfield going number one overall. Crazy stuff happens in the draft, crazy stuff, and I did, I am done with mock draft 3.0. So that'll be released on Monday, so get ready to see that. That's going to be very exciting whenever that comes out. It's one of my favorite mock drafts, a little bit different than what we've done in the past. Very different, but one thing that I'm going to keep consistent, this is going to be a little teaser, I guess, and this is a show that's recorded, what, two shows in advance. This is a Wednesday show. This one, the next one will come out on Monday for the Logan for the draft show, because we'll do a full recap of my mock draft 3.0. Lewis Riddick who was pretty hard done by not to be a GM this offseason. I think everybody and their mom thought Lewis Riddick would be an NFL GM this offseason. My dad and I were talking about, I was like, we were watching a Monday Night Football game. I think it was Bill's 49ers. I think it was that one, or Bill's Patriots, something. And he was doing the Monday Night Football broadcast. And my dad goes, man, what would it be like to be Lewis Riddick right now? You're hosting Monday Night Football. You're doing a call for Monday Night Football. And you've got your choice of NFL franchise to be a GM. This has got to be a pretty good life right now. Everybody expected Lewis Riddick to be a GM. And then it just surprisingly didn't happen. A lot of teams went a lot of different directions in the GM spot. I was really surprised by that. But Lewis Riddick posted a thing of Trey Lance in Atlanta or San Francisco system equals fire emoji. And that's 100% true. Where did Logan put Trey Lance in the last two mock drafts? San Francisco, and Atlanta. I had those two fits work beautifully. 
I think they're perfect fits for each other. Trey Lance in Arthur Smith's scheme, learning from Matt Ryan would be awesome. He is the perfect quarterback for Arthur Smith and what they're trying to do down in Atlanta. Because like I said, when we were doing Mock Draft 2.0, the Falcons and Arthur Smith, what does Arthur Smith want to do? He wants to run the football. What did North Dakota State do better than anybody or not do? What did they do? What they currently do, not what they did, they currently do, run the ball. And Trey Lance, if you watch North Dakota State this year versus last year, I watched both of their games. Like a game and a half, because I guess I was watching you and I's game last week and then kind of finished the last of the North Coast State game. Their offense looks dead. Zeb Nolan, this is no secret, and I'm going to surprise you a little bit, Zeb Nolan's not Trey Lance. Nor is mobile, not as good of an arm, not as accurate, not as good as a decision maker, can't, just can't run. Not, 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 I, I know I said not anywhere as mobile, he just can't run. He can't. Trey Lance, in a system where he could learn from somebody in Matt Ryan, who's not ready to retire, it seems like, and a coach that wants to run the ball, that would be perfect. Even if he went to San Francisco, I don't think the 49ers are moving on from Jimmy G this offseason, but I think next offseason, I think that's what's going to happen. And I think if Jimmy G, or if uh, Trey Lance were to go for San Francisco, beautiful. And Kyle Shanahan stuff, they want to run the ball too with Raheem Mostert. They've got weapons that are very fast. They like the quick game. Trey Lance can hit the tight end and George Kittle. Awesome. Either way, Trey Lance, if given the right time and getting taught under a good coach and a good quarterback, will be an awesome NFL quarterback. If he's given the time. If he's not, then we might be in trouble. Because Josh Allen was a similar prospect to that. If given the time, Josh Allen will be an amazing quarterback. And look where we are now. Three years after he got drafted in 2018, now he's a top five quarterback in the NFL and finished second in the MVP voting. you got to give these guys time, these raw prospects time. And that's what Trey Lance is. Patrick Mahomes sat an entire year, played one game his rookie year against the Denver Broncos and looked all right. And look where he is now, the half-billion-dollar man. Won a Super Bowl, MVP, been to another Super Bowl. you got to give these raw prospects time. You can't just go, hey, go in. We saw what Josh was when he first went in. He looked good at times. As I said earlier, talking about Drew Locke, Josh Allen looked really good at times rookie year, but then other times, like, ooh. But showed you things of what he could be, which is the risk you run in playing a guy like that earlier, but he was kind of rushed in there by default because the Bills, again, handled that quarterback situation terribly. Got, I don't know what they looked at. Nathan Peterman went, yeah, let's keep him in there. Let's have Josh learn from him. And to be fair to Nathan Peterman, he's probably the greatest preseason quarterback I've ever seen in my entire life. That dude would make every throw in preseason. And then I've never seen anybody look so good in preseason and then so bad in the regular season, it's ridiculous. He had a zero QBR against the Baltimore Ravens. And then Josh just had to start the next game against the Chargers. And then now he's a top five quarterback in the NFL. I think Trey Lance could be that next quarterback like that. And I think, I said this, what was it, a couple shows ago? I think that ceiling that he has, I know there's reports that say he could get drafted after Mac Jones because of the one season thing. And I get that because I did that in my rankings of why Trey Lance is ranked fourth is because of the one game, and he didn't look good. He went 15 of 30 through his first interception in college, but ran pretty well, which is what we come to expect from Trey Lance against a good Central Arkansas team who was ranked 11th, I believe, in the nation at the time. I think Trey Lance has the highest, see, other than like Trevor Lawrence, I think if we're looking past Trevor Lawrence, because I think he's going to be the one that most people look to and go, he's going to be the best quarterback at all this. And it's fair to say that. I don't think that's very out there to try and predict that. But I think Trey Lance, again, if given the time, if given a coach, a competent coach, and given a quarterback to learn from like a Matt Ryan or Jimmy G, I think he could flourish and destroy the NFL. I think he'd be awesome. He's not ready to play. He's the least ready to play out of all these quarterbacks by far. He's played the least amount of games. But he has potential, and good Lord, it is a lot 
of potential. And I'm excited to see what he does. It might this is this doesn't make me I'm not saying that he's the best quarterback in this draft. Trey Lance is my favorite quarterback in this draft. He's not the best. I'm not saying he's the best. I think he has the potential to be the best, but right now, not the best. But he's my favorite because I'm excited to see what he molds into because he reminds me different style of player, but reminds me of Josh Allen. Not as strong of an arm, more mobile than Josh, but I think they're that similar player of came from a smaller school, both in the mountainous area of North Dakota, Wyoming. Shows flashes, but really raw. I think that's a similar situation. I think that's why I connect with Trey Lance more than the other quarterbacks because of that small school talent, raw, and a very high ceiling. I think that's what we could be dealing with with Trey Lance. And this thing popped up again. And I know we have talked about this about a thousand times, but I saw this on my Instagram when I was eating dinner. It was from Max Preps. Again, I don't know why they keep tweeting this. Would you rather be a star on a top FCS team or a bench player on a top FBS team? That has never made sense to me in my entire life. If you are a competitor, you would not willingly sit on the bench. Regardless if you're a top FBS program or not, you're still not playing. No one knows who you are. They threw a picture of a guy on here. I'm sorry, guy. I don't know who you are. I know who the dude in the FCS picture is. It's Trey Lance, who's going to get drafted in the top 15, one would assume, in this draft. I've never understood that. If you were a competitor and you went to college to play, then it could be like an Alex Moran-type situation from Blue Mountain State and just want to go for the experience. Which, if you want to go for the experience, fine. Go to the FBS school and just sit on the bench and party. Because, sure, you're a, bench, you're a college football player on an FBS school. If you're a bench player in Alabama, sure, you can party all you want. I don't really care. But if you're a competitor and want to get drafted, make money doing this, go to the FCS school because Carson Wentz makes a lot of money. (laughs) He almost won an MVP. I know he's not in the best shape right now. He had a very bad year last year, but could be back. Steve McNair, another one. He was one of the first Heisman finalists from the FCS level. He might be the only one that came from the FCS level for a Heisman finalist. Third overall pick. Had a very successful career in the NFL. Went to a Super Bowl with the Tennessee Titans. Lost to the Rams. And Trey Lance won natties. Won a natty. I shouldn't say natties at North Dakota State. And will get drafted in the top 15. No-name bench player will just be a bench player. And could just go on the fact that I played for Alabama. That's like me saying, I'm a former D1 quarterback. But I'm not telling you which D1. (laughs) I'm not going to tell you what D1 program I played for. Because technically, William Penn is a D1 program at the NAIA level. Now, if you want to get technical, sure, it's not the highest D1 you can get. Because obviously NCAA D1. But whatever. It's a D1 program. I played football in college. Didn't play. Play's a funny word. Play's a funny word. I say that all the time, too. (laughs) I used to play college football. But play... I was on the team. <laughs> if I got hurt, I retired from football because of injuries. But, yeah, there's no way I would rather be a bench player on an FBS team versus a star on an FCS team. Because the old adage said, would you rather... Let's just go over this. Would you rather be Jerry Rice, Walter Payton, Trey Lance, Carson Wentz, Steve McNair? Who are some other ones that I'm just missing out on? I don't know, I'm completely blanking on some other ones right now, but those Walter Payton, Jerry Rice should be enough right there, or just be some no-name bench player on an FBS school. I don't know. It's stuff to think about. If you were a competitor, I would I would hope that most people that are listening to this would say they'd rather be an FCS player, a top FCS player, because you're still playing D1 football and actually playing versus not playing for the FBS level. Sure, you get your rings and stuff, but... He didn't do anything. I'd rather be the guy that goes out there and gets the ring and gets the trophies and gets drafted in the first round and gets paid lots of money. That's what I'd rather be. I'd rather be a Jerry Rice than a Matt Castle who's a backup backup at USC. Just my personal opinion. That's basically what we're looking at this as because Matt Castle is the first backup quarterback I can think of at the FCS level that actually made it to the NFL. So if you want to use 
F- backup FBS players can make it to the NFL. I'd rather be, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'd rather be Jerry Rice than Matt Castle. That's just how I'm viewing this right now. I'm sorry if that's too out there for you. <laughs> but yes, would you rather be a star player on an FCS team or a bench player on an FBS? Actually, it's a top FCS team and a top FBS team. So I'd rather be a star player in North Dakota State or a bench player in Alabama. I'd rather be the star in North Dakota State. To be honest, I want to play. I want to play. That's the main reason for that. And I don't get how that's still a a question. I don't know how that's a question still. I don't get how that's a question. Never have, never will. I've made fun of it like last week or something like that. And it's funny that just got brought up on my timeline because that proves right there. Google knows, your phones know what you're saying at all times because, man, I didn't type that in anywhere. It popped up on my Instagram Explore page. So your phones know what you're list- you're talking about. And it just randomly popped up. Convenient how that worked out. But, yeah, that's all I've got for you today on this Wednesday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. I had to think about the Combine because I saw another thing that said how much the Combine actually matter. It shouldn't matter at all, but it does to people. Because, I don't know, working out in your underwear, I guess, means how you're a better football player than someone who doesn't work out well in their underwear. I don't know. That's just how I view the whole Combine situation. And when I was saying Kevin Miala... I meant Mike Mamula is what I was talking about the other day when I was talking about people that train specifically for the combine and do the drills that are specifically at the combine. Mike Mamula is what I got, is what I meant. I I don't know why I said Kevin Miala because there's a Kevin Fiala, a player for the Minnesota Wild, but that's not what I meant. I meant Mike Mamula. John Ross balled out the combine, got drafted ninth overall. So I... I'm not a big combine person. I'll watch it. I enjoy watching the combine when it's on. Obviously, there's no combine this year, but I enjoy watching it. But you can't really take a ton away from it, but you have to think most teams are taking a ton away from that. It's like Jerry Rice didn't run a fast 40, but he's the greatest wide receiver of all time. So, yeah, that's all I've got for you today. I hope you enjoyed the show. I think this show went a lot better than the last show we did, and I hope you feel the same way. So make sure you tune in on Friday because we'll have another fun show for you. Mock Draft 3.0, almost said 2.0, 3.0 will be out on Monday, so make sure you stay tuned for that. It's done and dusted, just waiting for it to get posted. So, yeah, that's all I've got for you today. I will see you guys on Friday. Peace.